Dr. Katrina Fury, a psychiatrist. And I'm Portia Pendleton, a licensed clinical social worker. And And this this is Analyze Scripts, a podcast where two shrinks analyze the depiction of mental health in movies and TV shows. Our hope is that you learn some legit info about mental Mm -hmm. health while feeling like you're chatting with your girlfriends. There is so much misinformation out there and it drives us nuts. And if someday we pay off our student loans or land a sponsorship, like with a lay flat airline or a major beauty brand, even better. So sit back, relax, grab some popcorn and your DSM-5 and enjoy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi! Can you hear us? How's it going? (laughs) I can hear you. It's going great. This is Katrina. And this is my friend Portia. Hi, Hi. Nice to meet you. Hey, Portia. <laughs> via call. Yes. I was going to say it's going to be interesting because we can't see each other. I know. Are you um, guys in the same place? Are you also? We are separate. Yeah, we, uh, we have this, you know, really high tech setup of this little folding table. And two yes. random chairs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the computer. How all the best podcasts have started. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but you're so sweet to come on to our, our show. I really appreciate it because I know you are so busy. And she's at a conference right now. Oh, wow. She's in Nashville. <laughs> Today we are joined by Christina Arredondo who is one of my former co-residents from Yale. And we are so glad that she's here. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Christina. Oh, thank, thank you so much for having me. I know you are um, a busy female doctor doing all sorts of different things. Um, I wanted to just give our listeners a, a quick bio about you because you do so much. Um, so Dr. Arredondo currently resides in her hometown of Tucson, Arizona, where she is raising her family amongst an extensive family unit. She's traveled all throughout the United States and beyond for both pleasure and education. 
after graduating from Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota with a bachelor's in psychology. She worked in mental health treatment in San Francisco and tobacco cessation research at Stanford. Dr. Arredondo completed medical school at the University of Washington in Seattle and then her psychiatry residency and public psychiatry fellowship at Yale, where is uh, where I met her and where she saved my butt a couple of times when I was on really mm. busy call shifts. <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> oh, gosh, okay. Uh, after training, she returned home to Tucson as she's always desired to serve her Southern Arizona community. Since that time, she's worked, it seems like everywhere in inpatient care. Everywhere. Emergency yep. care private, tribal, public sectors, and she's currently the medical director of several opiate treatment programs, um, as well as the medical director of behavioral health at a local federally qualified health center. Her interests lie in capacity building, epidemiology, native health, transgender health, data management and surveillance, addiction services, integration of culture into a medical model of care, and helping bring about behavioral change. So basically, all the cool stuff. When oh, she, the fun stuff for sure. When she's what I do. working, she likes to travel, read, make music, and raise her three young daughters along with four loud dogs, 12 chickens, and a desert tortoise. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it really is a full house. So anyway, welcome, Christina. Thank, Thank you. So us As you can I tell, I love a little bit of chaos. So this is, yeah. this is great. <laughs> I know. I was telling Portia when I mentioned, like, hmm, how would you feel about us having a guest host? Like, we've never done that before. But um, when I was re-watching this movie, I was thinking about you, and I was like, I bet, I bet she would have some interesting, you know, views on this. And I feel like, I can't remember how far ahead of me you were in residency, like two or three years? Two, I think two. Oh my goodness, I, I don't know. It's two years, I think. I think so. But I always just remember yeah. you sort of, I was always just watching you from afar. It's like, oh, okay, so how'd you, oh. This is how you have oh. kids. Oh, how'd you get maternity leave? Or just every couple of years, I feel like I reach out to you with a random question about how do you do all of this mm -hmm. stuff? <laughs> and you've always uh, been helpful. I always knew how to do it because I always knew how to ask questions there because it's so hard to do this stuff on your own. It's really, it's really hard, hard to figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so where should we start, Portia? So I had never seen um, Encanto until this week. So I don't know if either of you, you know, had, had watched it many times mm -hmm. um, yes. prior to me. So um, I just maybe for some background, don't really, I have a very like older family. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm kind of weirdly placed so that there's really no young children anymore. Mm -hmm. Like they're, you know, the next wave will come at some point, but I think I just haven't been exposed to, to Disney <laughs> um, like content in a really long time. So I, was kind of um, a little bit scared to watch this because typically I think I'm a little traumatized from like Bambi. Dumbo and yeah. Yeah. And, yeah and just you know tragic animals and and just uh -huh. so I was nervous but it, I, I, I did enjoy it a um, couple tears shed oh but really it was appropriately so I think that you know I'm, I'm coming from this place watching yes. the movie um, but I you know I'm excited to hear what maybe yeah. someone's watched it many more times than yeah that's an interesting mm -hmm. perspective how did you feel yeah. it was similar or different from like the old school Disney movies we grew up with? I feel like it was um, maybe like more appropriate, like, <laughs> like almost just a little bit lighter, um, mm -hmm. really colorful, mm -hmm. like um, really engaging. I really liked the music. I mm. thought the songs were really catchy. I thought for like kids, it, it, I 
think it felt like a little bit of simplified. Like you could still pick up on bigger themes, but in a simple way. And then for adults, like there's a lot to really think um, about. Yeah. yeah. What, about, what about you guys? Yeah. No, I agree with you. I feel like the newer movies, um, one, they make me cry a little more. But two, I, I think they just tackle these really big issues in a way that maybe kids, I don't know if my kids really sort of understood the underlying like underpinnings of trauma and everything else that was happening in this movie. But I think they were understanding that there was feelings and that people like, you know, weren't perfect and, Mm -hmm. you know, all the kind of stuff that we don't really see in some of the older movies. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they don't have that sort of depth that I think the newer movies have. Totally. And I think the newer movies, even movies like Frozen, you know, Mm -hmm. I feel like when I was growing up, Disney was all about like the princess finding her husband at all Mm. costs. Like that was the goal. And now all their movies, like they're just different. The goals are different. It's not always about finding your spouse. Um, Mm -hmm. And they just have a lot of deeper themes. And I love that. Like this one, Encanto and Frozen, there is a, a strong family theme. You know, like in Frozen, the sisters save each other. And here it's more about exploring the family unit rather Mm -hmm. than like a romantic being the main. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, yeah. And raising three kids, I have to say, I'm very appreciative of that, (laughs) that it's not all about being sort of the romantic princess, not that it's a bad thing, but Mm -hmm. that I just feel like there's just more to learn and the flaws of it, like being able to be flawed and being okay with it and getting that acceptance is so important for kids these days. Right. Exactly. And I think too, having, you know, kids, perhaps even more so little girls grow up and see characters like girls that are depicted in this movie. I just love, right? Like their body shapes, even like that, just like period, how they're drawn are all different Mm -hmm. and they're very different from the classic Disney princess. Mm -hmm. You know, their skin tones are different from the classic princesses. And even within the family, you can see different shades. They have different talents, different flaws. And I'm sure that was an intentional choice here. Um, Yes. Yeah. So Christina, I'm curious. Um, I'm assuming you had seen this movie before. I have probably seen this movie. I think when it first came out, it was on almost 24 seven when the kids are watching TV. Yeah. They just, even if they weren't like sitting there watching, they just wanted it on. Mm-hmm. They wanted to hear the music. They, they would sit and stop and watch certain parts and then they would go back to doing what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So I, I watched it a lot. Um, and then I, I intentionally went back and rewatched it this week because it's all, it's it's a great movie and I love it, but it's also a hard movie to watch. Um, at times, it has a lot of themes to it that I think yeah. maybe hit very close to home, or you know, a lot of what I do in my day to day work, and and it just brings out a lot of those feelings of mm-hmm. kind of helping people with these experiences or maybe even experience it myself. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a great movie. I love it. I just, I don't think that I could watch it all the time right. as much as my kids wanted to watch it. Right. Yeah, totally. I remember, I can't remember exactly how long ago this movie came out, but I remember when it came out, just being really struck by how deep it was. And again, mm-hmm. like you were saying, Christina, I think children watching it start to get some of it. And I like to hope that somewhere they're absorbing these messages that like, you don't have to be perfect and we all love mm-hmm. you just for who you are and, you know, things like that. But I think some of the deeper themes about, you know, displacement and intergenerational trauma and family structures and all those complicated dynamics. I remember, you know, there's a couple of like, 
female physician Facebook groups I'm in. And I remember mm-hmm. when this came out, like the floodgates opened and everything. Oh my goodness. About yes. it. Especially Louise's song, Surface Pressure, just like really like my jaw dropped to the floor. I was like, how did you put this in words? <laughs> how did you know, right? <laughs> yeah, how'd you know? Um, exactly. So, you know, since you're our special guest, Christina, I guess I'll ask you, you know, where do you want to get started? Do you want to talk about the individual characters, some of the themes and how it relates to your work or mental health in general? What sounds, what feels like a good place to start? I mean, I think it's important to talk about some of the characteristics that we might see. I think Disney did a really good job of showing kind of within the different generations mm-hmm. sort of what came out of, from that trauma. Mm-hmm. Because what we do know is that different generations experience the trauma of the prior def- generation a bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, Disney did a really good job, I think, of showing those characteristics within each of those generations in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I totally agree. Um, so the main trauma we saw which we don't really see the full lengths of it till like the end of the movie. Um, but basically it, it looks like Abuela and her husband were trying to, you know, they had like just gotten pregnant. They were going to have triplets. They were so happy. Um, and then it seems like they were alluding to some kind of war. Was that your impression? I, th- I think it, yeah. Some local either, uh, I don't know if it's like a cartel or some kind of, um, organization, sort of criminal organization that was sort of taking over and fighting against uh, locals. Um, and I believe she was already pregnant when they mm-hmm. ended up fleeing. I mean, she was already, had already delivered when yeah, she, she was like ended up fleeing. three babies and mm-hmm. out. And that's when I started like, yeah. falling every time. Yeah. I'm just like, oh my goodness, just like feel the pain. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think somewhere in there, this, the candle emerges as this representation of a miracle. Um, and I was curious to hear both of your perspectives about, you know, what do you think that candle really represents? You know, because I guess it could be like a, a real physical candle in a concrete sense. But do you think that was meant to be imagery of some kind? I, I do. I think that I, if I remember correctly, I think it's the candle from when they were got married. And yeah. so when she was holding it, kind of lighting the way, I think mm-hmm. it was sort of a representation of their marriage and their um, and their love for each other and his love for her and the protection that he tried to give her. Because she would often, you know, kind of speak to him at times mm-hmm. in the film um, mm-hmm. and, you know, looking for his advice or looking yeah. for like strength from him or, you know, him to guide her. And then, like maybe through the candle, um, yeah. you know, that was her experience. It was, that was definitely when I cried. Yeah, um, for sure. And I thought it was interesting. I know some people have kind of talked about how at the beginning she shares more of like a, you know, watered down version of how yes. she got to this place. It's mm-hmm. like this story, um, which, you know, is I, I'm assuming how she kind of initially was coping with it and then what the family knew. Yeah. But really, you know, later on, she's able then to share the the real version, which yeah. is really heartbreaking and traumatic and, right. and um you know, but, but ultimately helps people understand her more or understand the experience like where um, she's coming yeah. from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could even see that a bit in the way that they, they did the, um, the drawings and the, the camera, because at the beginning when they're showing, um, uh, when she's talking to Maribel about, you know, losing your papa was gone, papa was gone. Um, it was very, like you said, watered down. It was very, it was just very, um, it, it didn't give a lot of specifics. And mm-hmm. you, when Mary Bell was kind of looking at the, the, the picture, when we were thinking about it, you saw that 
the grandmother from the front and she was kind of leaning over, but you didn't see her face. But later on when Maribel was actually talking to her grandmother and she was giving her the full story, like you saw it from the side and you actually got to see in that time, like the grandmother's like pain and the horribleness of what she was experiencing in that moment. So it, it kind of just allowed us to like, actually she opened up a little bit more mm-hmm. and she was able to like show not only visually, but just kind of, it gave you a visceral reaction when you yeah. saw Exactly. And mm-hmm. I'm always just so impressed when people yeah. creating these movies on that level can just so capture something and communicate it in such a strong way and in so many different ways mm-hmm. that it really just hits you. Um, and I'm sure all of us in our different lines of work see the effects of intergenerational trauma and how it can really trickle down. Um, and there's so much research about it now, even on a really granular genetic, you know, neuroscientific level. And I was just like, wow, who, who came up with this idea and like put it all together in such a beautiful way. Um, I I was curious if they had some specialists that were helping them out because it was just so true to sort of what I saw. Yeah. Yeah. I, they must. And that is one of our selfish delusional grandiose goals with this podcast is maybe someday. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Disney will come calling. Yeah, you know. Um, so just, just to give a rundown of the characters. Um, so we have Abuela, the matriarch of the family. Again, I thought that was, I, I just, I'm curious, Christine, if you see this a lot in your work, but I feel like that is very typical that there is a, a, a matriarch in the family. Um, and then she has her three uh, children, the triplets, uh, Julieta, who is Mirabel's mother, her special gift is healing with cooking. Uh, we have Tio Bruno or Uncle Bruno, um, who his special gift is seeing the future. And then he's sort of the black sheep of the family gets mm. shunned, which we'll talk about in a bit. And then we have Tia Peppa or, or, or Auntie Peppa. Um, she's the character whose mood controls the weather. And then the families of these three, we see that Julieta marries um, a man and they have three children. The oldest, Isabella, is the perfect sister. You know, she's the one who can make flowers grow and just is totally perfect. The second oldest, Luisa, um, I love her. I think she's my favorite <laughs> character. And she's the strong one. Mm-hmm. You know, she can't be weak. Nothing really hurts her. And then the third sister, Mirabelle, who's the protagonist, the main character of the movie, is the one who doesn't get a gift. Mm-hmm. And we don't really understand why till the end. And then um, there's a couple of important cousins, um, Dolores, who is the one who has the super hearing abilities, and Camillo, who is the shapeshifter. And then the other main character was Mariano, who is sort of the boyfriend of Isabella, who... Kind uh, of a macho. Kind of the, yeah. <laughs> right, but also has this, like, depth. Well, sensitive, yes, very <laughs> sensitive. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, things like that. Um, but so we see these three generations. Um, and then the, what was the name of the little boy who got his gift? Antonio? Antonio. Yeah. yeah. Antonio, so, yeah. he can like speak to the animals and everything. Mm-hmm. So we see mm-hmm. these three generations and how they're all interacting with each other. And it was, I kind of got the sense that, you know, Abuela's sort of running this show, so to speak, running the family. They get this miracle candle, which leads them to this casita, this magical house And when they come of age, they each get a gift. And even that sort of premise reminded me in so many different cultures of the, you know, the coming of age Mm -hmm. sort of quinceanera, the bat mitzvah, the 
you know, so many different things in all sorts of different cultures. There's usually some sort of celebration when you're coming of age. And it seems like for them, they each get this special gift that then the whole family uses to kind of help their community mm-hmm. is sort mm-hmm. of the sense I got. And I always wondered, like, did, a, did Abuela feel like she owed that to the community or that was her way of giving back for, for living? I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? I just get the sense that she just felt this sense of obligation or mm-hmm. this sense of of like a weight of about what happened <laughs> and that she, you know, yeah, the survivors and, and just feeling like she now had to take on everything. Now, not only was she given, you know, uh, these children, three. <laughs> but she, but she was also, yeah, three babies, mm-hmm. but she also had this community, you know, she had this power, you know, um, that to, to support this community. Like it just felt like it must've felt this overwhelming sense of, I have to keep things going. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I maybe am the one that needs to keep doing this. And I, I feel like a lot of people who have had this trauma or have immigrated or, you know, just have had these experiences sometimes feel this sense of weight and they have to do well. They have to support the next generation. And mm-hmm. she just maybe kind of took that to, which we see a lot, it, you know, this to this extreme that has ended up leading to, to difficulty and a stress that was sort of intolerable for that second or third generation. Right, right, right. I think we do see this, right, in, in all of our work. And, um, you know, I often, I've, I've worked with patients who either their parents were first-generation immigrants or they're first-generation immigrants, but their parents are now here. And there is, you know, as they're sort of progressing through their life, there is this tension between you know, wanting to individuate and sort of move away from their nuclear family, mm-hmm. but then also feeling obligated to take care of them. Um, and sometimes not even just their direct, you know, parents, siblings, but the broader family unit or, or their community. And I think we see that in to different degrees in different cultures. Um, mm-hmm. We certainly see that in this movie. Absolutely. And I think each, you know, Disney, I think did a good job of individualizing ways that it could affect the you know the kids mm-hmm. and you know you see that in Louisa she's expected to be perfect and mm-hmm. expected to you know kind of follow this track she's supposed to marry the you know this man and all this stuff that's supposed to happen to her but that she just wants nothing to do with that you know she wants to be herself and she wants to be an individual she doesn't want to be perfect she doesn't want that weight the same thing with Louisa who's trying to is expected to help everybody mm-hmm. and always and, and almost kind of seemingly just never kind of question it mm-hmm. but at the same time she's not able to really support her own mental health right um and it's it, we see that so much and it's so important that that was sort of pulled out i know i couldn't believe they did such a good job with those two sisters yeah mm-hmm. and Harville being the third one i was like how did they even know the birth order yes <laughs> like, exactly so, perfectly uh, you know like mm-hmm. the perfect one the strong one and then oh mm-hmm. we don't know what to do with you mm-hmm. <laughs> I think um, Dolores, the cousin who has the super hearing, I mean, besides, I think, seeing the future, which I would not want to do, but (laughs) I think, you know, super hearing just reminded me almost of like this profession Um, and just like, like how much she heard, right? Like that she didn't need to or shouldn't have heard. 
you know, she, she heard that Bruno was there the whole time, right. and, you know, she was like, holding that secret. So I think a lot, there's also like secrets that get, you know, held because we can't share them. Um, yeah. maybe it's not safe to, or it feels like it would upset the system too much. So, um, we have to keep them to ourselves. That's a really good point, Portia. Yeah. And you see that so much in families that have had trauma, right? The kids end up sort of inappropriately or not even meaning to, not purposefully always, like seeing things and hearing things and um, that maybe was not always child appropriate or age appropriate for them. And they sort of take that on. And it's it's such a common thing to see, a common theme. Um, and then they, t- you know, they move on to their adulthood and, and, you know, that trauma that was you see in that first generation now becomes more complex trauma, mm-hmm. which comes with its own, you know, difficulties and possible path of, you know, um, psychology. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just such an interesting way to, to do that. You know, you think it's, oh, you just, you know, she just hears, but no, she's hearing stuff she shouldn't really be hearing and mm-hmm. having, like you said, having to keep it a secret. And that's a big weight to put on your soul. Right, right. I know it, it, it just seems like, you know, this whole family unit rests on everyone playing their role the exact mm-hmm. right way. And it seemed like Abuela sort of, I don't know if she had any control or power over the gifts they each got. I don't think so. It seems like at some point, though, with with Bruno and with Mirabelle, like not getting a gift, she had some control over it, if I remember correctly, but I might be misremembering. I think they were all very confused by that. And I think at the end, I mean, I think there's a lot of interpretations about Mm -hmm. why she didn't get the gift and why at the end the house sort of responded to her. Um, I've heard people say, like, I, I, the way that I think is that, you know, she was sort of meant to take on sort of some um, leadership or, hmm. you know, place in this family. And so she does, she wasn't sort of burdened with like a specific gift, but hmm. ultimately she's kind of the soul of the family bringing them together hmm. and that maybe she was sort of meant to, in a less toxic manner, yeah. lead this family to a healthier place and sort of be the next abuela in the next sort of generation. Yeah. And that's why her gift was, you know, the house responded at the end when things were more healthy. Right, the imperfect but stable foundation. Again, even mm-hmm. like the imagery of the house is so good. Yes. Yeah, it made you know? me think of a little bit of um, like Beauty and the Beast, just with mm-hmm. like all the, you know, the plates moving around. I mean, mm-hmm. very, very, mm-hmm. but just, I love that, you know, the house itself was like this living, breathing creature yeah. that, you know, was so connected to Mirabelle. Um, I think that too, kind of like what we were just saying, um, I, I, and I, Abuela doesn't have a gift beyond no. the, you know, Survive. is the handle, she's the carrier of the candle almost. Yeah. So it's almost like Mirabelle now is like, I, I don't know. They're alike in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and then as you're saying that, I'm thinking like, was there any competitiveness between the two of them that maybe Abuela couldn't even recognize or put into words or at some point? Because yeah. it does seem like Mirabelle was always feeling like, and then the scene where she directly says it to the Abuela, like, I'm never going to be good enough for you, am I? I mean, that just that's another time where mm-hmm. the tears just fall on my end. Um, but it's so true. I think the way she was relating to her and perhaps to all the family members, I don't think it was intentional. You know, I don't think she was like maliciously trying to make them all feel not good enough, but I think with everyone having their, their role to play and if they don't want to play it or not, they all kind of felt that way, Mm -hmm. you know, that there would be drastic consequences, um, Mm -hmm. if they didn't conform or, or do their job right. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah, I, I, I see this a lot in terms of when you have the person in the family that wants to start opening up trauma mm. and bringing it forward and putting voice to it, it, it scares people, mm. you know, it's hard for people to, you know, you can't force someone to do this. And so, you know, I kind of felt like Maribel was the one, the voice for what was happening. And she mm. was the one that was starting to, you know, say, Hey, the house doesn't look great. Or, exactly. you know, kind of starting to notice, Hey, Louisa doesn't look great. Or, you know, all this kind of stuff was happening. You know, she was seeing that things, there was cracks in how things were going. And I feel like that there's, when, when there's trauma in family, that, that often happens that there's somebody who starts kind of pushing and poking and it doesn't always end up great, but maybe, you know, we know with trauma that sometimes being able to process it out mm-hmm. a little bit more in the open is, helpful it's you know what we want people to be able to do maybe not right away but mm-hmm. you know ultimately to take away some of that power and i feel like that was kind of maybe mirabelle's role yeah yeah because bruno was kind of you know child mm-hmm. for potentially mm-hmm. bringing you know this to light and you know we could he did it all yeah. was the why you know he didn't make it happen and she did but mm-hmm. i think that's just an example of the what also happens you know if someone mm-hmm. comes in and tries to disrupt the system sometimes we're mm-hmm. you know we push them away yeah it's exactly. dangerous abuela seems scared a couple times when she thought that the candle was going out or the house yes. was kind of breaking down and you could see it give her a sigh of relief as something kept going so you know she was just kind of holding it tightly together yeah I mean, yeah, I thought Abuela just demonstrated such strong, just such strong depictions of both the hypervigilance and hyperarousal that can come from trauma, like, you know, really holding on tight. And she even Mm -hmm. says in, I think, one of the final songs, you know, I'm sorry I was holding on too tight. I was so afraid of Mm -hmm. losing you again. And then also this sort of dissociative nature that can come from an extreme trauma of, you know, having to exile Bruno because you, you just can't face it or, you know not going into all the details about what actually happened because you just can't face it. Mm -hmm. Trying to sort of turn the trauma narrative into this romantic story Mm -hmm. that now we have the celebration when people get their gift and sort of totally displacing and disregarding all the pain that came with it because it's just too frightening. Yeah. And I think you can see that with Tia Peppa um, Mm -hmm. when she has the clouds coming in and, you know, Abuela yeah. is like, no, it's raining. Put those away. Yeah, Put yeah, those yeah. away. It's like, that's visually like almost exactly what's happening. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, I, I liked that a lot. Right. Right. Wow. I mean, in kind of a silly way, like what, 
of these gifts would you want? You know, like which, which, which sounds maybe scary and maybe, you know, we don't want them in the way that they're initially using them. But, um, I don't know. I, I would really like the flowers. (laughs) It's like so beautiful creating. I, you know, I don't really want the super hearing. Um, I I don't need to know everything, but the weather's cool. Like, I don't know. What do you guys think? (laughs) What do you think? Oh oh my goodness. I, I, you know, I never thought about that. I mean, (laughs) as you see at the beginning that I have a lot of animals. So I think I would prefer to be able to like hear and understand what the animals are saying. But I think in the grand scheme of this discussion, I probably, I don't think I would want any of them. I feel mm. like it's just too much pressure. Mm. It's so much pressure to like know and feel like no, like do something that other people can't and then mm-hmm. have everybody looking at you all the time for it. Yeah. yeah, seriously. I think of all the gifts, if I had to pick one, I'd, I'd want to heal people with cooking. That seems pretty mm-hmm. lovely. Mm. <laughs> yes. Um, it maybe appeals to my inner healer. Um, but what you just said, Christina, so resonates with me and Louisa, I just like so resonated with this yes. character and in her song, Surface Pressure, I kept thinking of intern year over mm-hmm. and over and over. Um, just like that pressure you have to like, look like you know what you're doing. You know, it's not really safe to ask for help. People's lives are literally in your hands sometimes. And just, it seems like Louisa really felt that in a different way, you know, but mm-hmm. I just think like that character must resonate with so many different people. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's why you saw the response in yes. the physician women's <laughs> forums. But I, I see it like even now I hear myself saying it, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm busy and I'm doing a master's and I have kids. And sometimes I'm like, if I could just get through this one homework assignment or if I could finish these notes, I would be much better. And I, you just kind of push through it. Yeah, and then a pile. Totally the opposite of what we tell our patients to do, right? <laughs> that we tell our patients like, hey, you have to build in the self-care, that you have to be able to let go of stuff and, you know, and, and ask for help. it's, yeah, and be able to say, hey, I'm not going to do this well right now. Like, I, can I put this off and all the stuff that we always talk about, but it's so hard to do. And that's why I think we, we as women physicians or I think a lot of people, but I think it's especially kind of really resonated with Louisa. Yeah. And also, I think it's also a great depiction of how, you know, the system also has to be open to helping you. Like for Mm -hmm. so long, if Louisa had expressed any weakness or asked for help, I don't think the system would have been like, oh, that's okay. I don't think a boy at the beginning of the movie would have said like, oh, that's okay. You can take a day off. Go take a day off, right? Or we can help you. Isabella can help you, you know? Mm. Um, Right. Yeah, again, I just love this movie. I love the colors. I love the animation. I love the music. So good. Yeah, I was humming the Bruno song. Like, I just got very stuck in there for a couple of days after. It's it's sweet. You know, I I really liked it. I was was happily, you know, um, you know, not devastated to my core thinking about like animals dying after that to me, I guess is a trigger, you know, obviously those society commercials know what they're doing. (laughs) But um, yeah, I was, I was really pleasantly surprised. I know there's still, you know, in Disney movies, like someone always has to die Mm. in this like awful way. Which has to make this fascinating. Yes. Like, Why? I feel like that doesn't have to happen. No. <laughs> you, I think you can build tension in other ways. No, but but, you but you're right. There's always a parent or always somebody a parent passes. Or like primary caregiver. Mm. I'm just like, yes. from the beginning, like, what's up with Walt Disney? Like, what's his attachment trauma? Yeah. Or whoever's <laughs> parent movies? Like, what are we trying to do, guys? But yeah, so we still had that. 
um, but in such a more nuanced, beautiful, complex way. Mm-hmm. And I just love yeah. at the end, you know, when the the community members show up to sort of help them rebuild the house and, you know, that leading up to that, that, that scene in the song between Mirabelle and Abuela just, oh, really gets your heart. And I'm just like, wow, Mirabelle has such such psychological resilience after everything she's been through to still be able to, you know, hold on to her own experience and pain and then also be able to listen and empathize and appreciate her grandmother's pain, despite everything that's come from it. Mm-hmm. I struggled with her a little bit. I really love her character, but at times she just, it, you know, I just felt bad for her, to be honest. I, I felt a lot, I felt a lot of empathy when I was watching her and the times when she was trying really hard to just sort of smile through it. <laughs> you know, she had to be the chipper one and was always so loving and yeah. just happy and teaching the other kids mm-hmm. and singing with them. It just, I felt for her because I feel like so many people feel they have to do that, you know, and I was kind of very like relieved emotionally when she was able to sort of let that go at the end because it just felt like how much further, you know, she didn't have a gift that was, that was burdening her, but I think almost like the, the fact that she just couldn't, you know, she couldn't really feel, she couldn't kind of put out there like all the thoughts and feelings she was having was sort of her own burden. And, um, and I, you know, in general, I feel like maybe this is what's teaching us is that, you know, Maribel, the future, like potentially as this leader of this family is going to allow people to be themselves and allow mm-hmm. people to relieve some of that stress. And maybe because she understands it and she's able to mm-hmm. verbalize her feelings in a way that maybe wasn't done before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. When she, you know, uh, when she and Isabella were sort of singing their song and Isabella's dyeing her hair and, mm-hmm. and you know, growing sharp things and all different colors and stuff. And then Abuela comes and like immediately the, the tension is felt and returns mm-hmm. and Mirabel just lets it out. I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> really, finally, but also, Oh, that's so sad. You know, and you could tell it was so hard for her to do and she sort of mm-hmm. like ran away, you know, the house crumbles and everything's crumbling. Yeah. It's, it's it's something I see in the younger generations. I feel like they're more wanting to be open mm-hmm. about things, whereas some of my older patients are still having a hard time. They still try to keep it in. Mm-hmm. I think that there's just, you know, there is a really distinct generational shift um, mm-hmm. with how people handle emotions and feelings. And there is, there's, there's a change to come in, I think. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, even like, these movies reflecting all these feelings, Mm -hmm. right. And like making room for them. And um, I'm thinking of the Disney movie inside out, which came before this, which we'll have Mm -hmm. for another time. I have not seen seen it. it, Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Oh, so good. That one's very good as well. But again, it's like all talking about feelings and sadness and grief and all the complexities, not just the happy romantic Mm -hmm. loving feelings, which I think is really great. So, I mean, thinking about more people kind of reaching out um, or being more comfortable with emotions makes me just kind of jump to like treatment. I mean, mm-hmm. and. Oh, yeah, Christina, you know, we always like to <laughs> to think about like if we were yeah. treating these characters. Mm-hmm. What would yes. You do? <laughs> and I think, you know, partly just asking the question, like who comes to treatment? Who doesn't? Know. You know, who yeah. has access to treatment? Who doesn't? Who does treatment feel unsafe to or bringing an outsider into a system? Um so, you know, despite some of those things being barriers, you know, if 
I guess maybe if you had Abuela in front of you. Do you think she'd show up? Um, if she did, which I think, you know, would probably be difficult. I'm not sure mm. she'd be open mm-hmm. to it, but I think she might come to like a family mm. session, maybe. Yes. Um, I feel like the one who would most likely show up would be Bruno, but maybe not voluntarily. Mm. Like the, like he's sort of like, to me, seems like the identified patient of the family. Are you familiar yeah. with that lingo? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and at the end he was, I mean, he was telling people how it was and yeah, I didn't mean this. This is what I meant. And, you know, I think he might, he might do well in therapy. Yeah. Um, I caught some sort of whiffs of maybe some like OCD ish stuff going Mm -hmm. on with him up there in the attic with the rats. Um, It's possible. (laughs) No, but I don't know, Christine, what do you think about Abuela and and treatment? I, I think, I think it would be very hard for her. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I see this in my own family. I think the oldest generations just can't have a really hard time verbalizing trauma, yeah. their own trauma. And I think they spent their whole lives not kind of that. putting it, bearing it down and not talking about it. And whether that's healthy or not, like we can't force them to talk about it. Right. right. So the best thing we can do is I always tell people like, look, I'm not, going to force you to talk about something that's traumatic. I, I understand that might take time, if ever, but I can talk about how maybe it's affecting you. Mm-hmm. Like how, like what you're, what it's affecting your place and your family and your world. And we can focus on that symptomatically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I it just, I just think it's really hard for the older generation to really kind of let that go. Right. It's, like we wouldn't be referring Abuela to EMDR or CP. No. Um, no, I don't think so. That would be more sort of supportive care. I mean, maybe just doing some processing, but it would be a very slow thing. I think. Right. Like a displaced, really focusing on the here and now if she, mm-hmm. if she's, you know, I think more toward the end, she can acknowledge, you know, mm-hmm. negative feelings a lot better than at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I feel like one of the newer generations, one of the cousins or like Luisa or Isabella, maybe even Isabella goes to, Maybe she has to go to like marriage therapy. <laughs> we can get married, and that's how we get them in. Um, I think if she ever wants to, I didn't get the impression she ever wanted to get married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Maybe she doesn't. Uh, or maybe Louisa. She's felt like she, I think her and Mirabel would be the ones to seek it out. Yeah, I think so. I think they were a little bit more open to to doing that, and maybe some, you know, EMDR, or maybe some interpersonal or. Like, you know, kind of said family therapy would be uh-huh. like really effective for them. Um, but, you know, I think the one thing that this movie kind of does a little bit of a disservice about trauma in general mm-hmm. is that it's not so easy <laughs> to just open up like they did and suddenly, you know, you accept fun. it. And right. So even when you do tend to bring up trauma and things are open and people are talking about it, it's not a like straight line forward to recovery. Right. Right. It's, it goes back and forth and up and down and, and people, you know, it might kind of re-traumatize it and kind of make right. more detachment and then you come back. And so, you know, but it's a Disney movie and what can you expect? It's not, it's not a series. It's not anything else that we're going to get sort of that longevity of what actually happens when people are trying to recover from trauma. Right. It's like an idealized depiction of mm-hmm. what trauma recovery could look like in a yes. system like this, but you're right. It's a lot messier when you're in the trenches for real very much so like what 
positive, you know, traits people develop from also mm-hmm. experiencing trauma, you know, like you did all of these things to keep the people around you safe or right. you, know, you had mm-hmm. to set up the system because that was how you survived. Right. And you know, mm-hmm. can you get to a place at some point in your life where you can kind of ask that part to step back? You know, I'm yeah. no longer a danger. <laughs> can you, you know, yeah, help me not be so dissociative or help yeah. me so, um, you know, yeah. activated. Right. Even yeah. just yeah. doing some real good, like deep breathing lessons with mm-hmm. everyone. We could start. There. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the resiliency, I mean, oh, yeah. like you said, that's like the one thing that I see coming out of that's kind of can be positive is the sense of really a deep sense of resiliency that some people with trauma have ex- have to experience right. to survive what they do. So it's, I mean, it's not the best way I want to teach people how to get resiliency, but I, it happens and often, you, know, you can I, honor that. Right, right. And often I find, you know, when mm-hmm. talking with my patients these days about diagnoses like PTSD or complex trauma or whatever you want to call it, just like hard things in life, you know, that seem to happen. I think focusing not only on the like PTSD type piece or the piece that's really bothering them or getting in the way of their functioning, but then also being able to focus on the resiliency piece and the strengths mm-hmm. they've gained and being able to tell them like, you're not going to lose that either. That That's part of you. And you'll carry that with you too. Um, can be really helpful mm-hmm. at least in helping people sort of hear that they might have some, you know, some effects from trauma. A lot of people really struggle to see themselves as someone who's been quote unquote traumatized. Mm-hmm. That can be really stigmatizing or yeah. scary. Especially when there's like a collective trauma or when there's mm-hmm. so much, I think people, mm-hmm. it's not just like that you do, you downplay it, but you know, oh, well, this person had so much worse of oh, an experience. Yes. I always right? call this the trauma Olympics, yeah. right? Yes. I'm not here to hand out a gold, mm-hmm. you know, uh, right. And you'll see that between generations, right? Somebody will mm-hmm. say, well, I, you didn't have to deal with this. Well, right. it's That's a different awesome. type of trauma, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's worse or better. I mean, nobody's putting a scale to it and seeing which one's heavier, you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. And it's a fine line between, you know, being reflective and giving yourself context and then mm-hmm. minimizing your own experience or minimizing the next generation's experience, you know, if you did have it worse. Or minimizing your own, yeah. Because I'll have, have people say, "Well, I I didn't have to deal with, you know, what my mother had to deal with. Right. So why yes. why am I feeling so bad about mm-hmm. what happened to me?" And I'm like, "Well, that, it's not the same thing. You're a different person, yeah. a different yes. experience, different place." But I think ultimately, I mean, what if if anything comes out of something like this, would be that you know, I just want people to know that that you can work with trauma mm-hmm. and it might take time to do therapy. There, there's so many options out there mm-hmm. for different types of trauma therapy and you don't have to go in and talk about your trauma immediately. That's not the goal, right? Mm-hmm. So let's, you know, just be open, you know, hopefully people are open of going out and, 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 and giving it a chance, right. you know? Right. I totally agree, Christina. I, mm-hmm. you know, find working with people with, with trauma can be so rewarding. It can be so hard, but so mm-hmm. rewarding when they are able to, you know, show up and, and, and put words to their authentic feelings and really work through it. Um, mm-hmm. People can really get better. Yeah. Yeah. And then their family can get better. Yeah, and I the mean, next generation. Right. And the next generation, because we forget that there's, you know, epigenetics is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And that when we have trauma, like we, we are literally changing our, mm-hmm. ourselves at a genetic level and that gets passed on. I, I you know, I, I struggle sometimes with um, 
when you hear things like, oh, a certain like racial group, it has, mm -hmm. you know, certain characteristics or a certain high burden of disease and, you know, must be because of something they're doing now. Well, no, the reality is <laughs> it's probably from something hundreds of years in, in play and that's where it's coming out now. You know, it's, we, we don't, we forget the importance of what happens before us to where we are now. Right. A hundred percent. I was just uh, nerding out a little bit and reading some like research studies about this stuff with epigenetics, how it can kind of like change your DNA, so to speak. But then also mm -hmm. how, when you see good trauma therapy, um, I was reading this specifically as it relates to the mother-infant dyad and how mm -hmm. even mothers who are raised in difficult environments or go through trauma in their life and have an insecure attachment can develop a secure attachment with their own infant a lot of times by psychologically processing what they've been through and, and being able to see it in a more balanced way. So it's all fascinating, mm -hmm. you know, but certainly this movie really depicts intergenerational trauma and the effects it can have and also the hope I think um again it's a Disney movie so we always leave yeah. on the <laughs> yeah. but it's a good introduction I think to the it idea is of you know intergenerational trauma I think it's a good introduction for people to even think about immigration and displacement yeah. and, and how families um cope with with that experience and then just you know all the things that come along with any family dynamic. Yeah. Um, and then even just kids watching mm -hmm. to know like, oh, I don't have to be perfect. I think yeah. even that message is great. Yeah. Yes. Yep. You know, At the very basic level, right? right? We want people to realize you could just be yourself and nobody's going to, we don't want you love. to feel this pressure to be something. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Well, any other final thoughts, Christina, as we wrap up? No, I mean, I think we hit all the really big spots. I, you know, it's, the, the, like you said, the very basic level, please, like, I, I see it in myself and think, oh, wow, is this really attachment to my child what I want? Should I go to therapy? I mean, I, I think always questioning and looking at your relationships and saying, like, am I seeing trends in, mm -hmm. in how I react to things? Is Should I really have somebody, like, talk this over with somebody, especially if you've had, like, a history of trauma? Like, just always go out and reach out when you, when you're seeing things, even if it feels like it's nothing. And I think a lot of people will be like, well, I just kind of thought this was who I was and mm. I didn't realize this was something I could work on. There's yeah. always something you could work on. Right. And I, I have a, a friend who always refers to trauma as like, you know, it's not just the big T traumas that we think about, yeah. but like a lot of yeah. people experience trauma just if, you know, if they felt neglected, invalidated, invalidated mm -hmm. constantly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of different yeah. ways that trauma can uh, leave marks. Um, you know, so yeah. I think we're all in agreement yeah, here. Yeah, I think that's a good message. message. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Christina. We thank appreciate you so this much. so much. Oh, no. Thank you for having me as your first guest. This no. is amazing. I, that's an honor. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Well, good. Maybe we'll have you back sometime. Absolutely. Um, and thank you again so, so much. I so appreciate it. It was nice to chat with you again. Yes. Nice talking to you again. And nice meeting you. Portia. You too. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This podcast and its contents are a copyright of analyzed scripts, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited. Unless you want to share it with your friends and rate, review, and subscribe. That's fine. All stories and characters discussed are fictional in nature. No identification with actual persons, living or deceased, places, buildings, or products is intended or should be inferred. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The podcast and its contents do not constitute professional, mental health, or medical advice. Listeners might consider consulting a mental health provider if they need assistance with any mental health problems or concerns. As always, please call 911 or go directly to your nearest emergency room for any psychiatric emergencies. Thanks for listening and see you next time.